Hello there and welcome to the Citizen ATX Podcast. My name is Matt Gillum, joining you from Austin, Texas, with my friends, Jonathan Spencer. Hello, Jonathan. Howdy, Matthew. Howdy. Good Aggie. Welcome. You said Austin, Texas, so I thought I'd just throw in the Aggie uh, up early. Okay. Uh, you know, it's it leaks into the culture here, you know? It's, it it's, it's, it's drift. The uprising's Shit. real. Yeah. And then we also have, <laughs> look how I cut that off there. <laughs> we also have another Aggie with us on here because they keep showing up is Lauren Ortiz. Hello, Lauren. Howdy, howdy. Yeah. Come on, guys. I'm, I'm getting welcome. this howdy here. Like, we don't have any kind of, like, I, I always like to think that I'm a little more, you know, clever than howdy, but, you know. Howdy's I'm, I'm a not... friendly word. It's it's an Aggie word, but oh. it is a friendly word. <laughs> it just makes you feel warm inside when someone tells you howdy. To and me, we also are in Texas. Like, everyone yeah. says that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's Cultural appropriation is what it is. Oh, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here to tell you. It, when you know, one thing that is fun, if you ever, for those of you listening, if you travel in a foreign context and you're trying to figure out what to talk to people, about start talking about Texasisms, <laughs> if that's a word. Yeah. People love it when you describe to them why y'all is an appropriate use of the second <laughs> yeah. person plural, huh? Especially all y'all, all y'all, all y'all, yeah, all y'all, yeah. All right. So now that we are completely off topic, but we're glad you're joining us today for our podcast here at Citizen ATX as we're going through the series parables reimagined and so so far we've walked through a couple of these stories that jesus told trying to take them understand them and put them into a, a modern context for us and so today we're going to be talking about one that i think if you are of a finance kind of background i mean you're just gonna be right in your wheelhouse you know the the goldman sachs listeners are just going to be perking up but it's a it's a parable that we've often we've often heard and sometimes maybe just didn't really understand uh, and so we're looking forward to talking about what's called the parable of the talents. And so today we're going to, Lauren is going to be reading from for us from Matthew chapter 25. We're going to go verses 14 through 30. And so Lauren, warm us up here with uh, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 25. All right. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, then he went away. All right. So, Jonathan, what is going on here? Why? How is this guy giving talents to people? So, is he teaching people how to juggle or to, uh, you know, how to? Uh, oh my God! What, what, what do people do in talent shows anymore? Like, I don't know. That's Most people only play video games, so that's not yeah, really no, a talent. We're not very we talented sing. anymore. <laughs> I know. Everything, technology's robbed us One of those talent. flaming <laughs> batons or something like that. Oh, <laughs> well, for talent, I mean, it is a, there is a monetary metaphor here. That, that word talent in the Old Testament, it was used as a unit of weight. Okay. But, but then when you get in the New Testament and you look at it, it was a unit of monetary value. Okay. And so the picture there is that you have this guy going on a journey and he's got this properties and trusting them talents, but but there's different measures to it. So it's not yeah. just equal. So not everybody gets the same hand, which is another rabbit trail we could go down. Mm, but nope. but that's a good point. But but he gives people a certain amount, but also each to their own ability. So he's measuring the person, and then he's choosing. I'm going to give this guy just five to use that number there. That he put another yeah. one, two, and one, and then he leaves it to him to to do something good with it. He's entrusting them with resources. Yeah. One thing you said that I think is pretty interesting that I, that I always find is just kind of an interesting trivia thing. But I find I find it interesting how many monetary functions in the world deal with weight. You yeah. know, like, so you like talk about the English pound. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we uh, here at ABC, or the church we work at, uh, have a... Uh, 
a representation in Egypt, they also use the pound. Yeah. You look at um, the Mexican peso, That's a, a peso is a measure of weight. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's always been something that I've wondered of what, why, yeah. why particularly do we use this idea of weight connected with money? It's because something that has weight has value, right? Yep. And so in the context of this, the guy who is in, it's not just, hey, handle this. It's in tr- there. It's entrusting something of value to these people. Uh, if you were we, if you were with us on the last uh, podcast, we talked sort of about this, uh, about the idea of these managers interacting with their servants, and there it's it's more than just giving them a job to do. It's entrusting them with the things that they have that are are of value. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, that, that's something that I always find is interesting that. You know that this is not just a basic activity here. It it is an action of trust that he's doing, where he's taking what he has that is valuable and giving it to somebody mm-hmm. else. Um, but you know, one thing that you said in there, that I think we ought to talk about really quickly, is also each to his own ability. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, Lauren, does that sound fair that uh, he gives this different values of money to different people? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, Lauren? <laughs> it just doesn't. I mean, honestly, like it just it seems like. I mean, to, to his own ability, like what, what is that ability? How does, how does he measure their ability? Yeah, um, you can juggle. That's what, that's what <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I just, I would ask that question. I would, I would say like, what is their ability and how, how is he, how is he measuring that and giving them the talent based on what he's measuring? Like, I just don't see anything. There. Well, and obviously, yeah, you don't get a lot of the context of it, you know, as far as how he made that decision, mm-hmm. but it obviously is also a calculated decision. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's something to, I guess I, I didn't even plan on talking about this, but it just kind of as we're in this rabbit trail. Yeah. And culture, cultures become increasingly anti-capitalistic, and mm-hmm. and, and yeah. that sometimes permeates into Christian culture. Some people make a wrongful argument that the Bible advocates for socialism, which is wrong. It's mm-hmm. not true. Um, but then with that, here you see an example of a measured approach where there was uh, an ability that factored in to what was received and what they were entrusted with. So there's not just equality in amounts, but what you're going to see is there is equality in opportunity mm-hmm. because they're all going to be given these resources. And as the story goes on, we're going to see there's going to be an expectation to grow it, multiply it, yeah. do something with it. And I think there's a question of motivation there, yeah. right? Like uh, it's not just, Hey, watch my cat and make sure it doesn't die mm-hmm. over the weekend. And if you're an office fan, please don't put it in the freezer, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but th- there's this idea that the things that, that we, that, that the, the, um, the man going on a journey, the things that he has that are of value, part of what makes them valuable is that it's not supposed to just sit there. Right. right? And I'm, I don't want to be a, I don't want to burn our plot here but at, at, <laughs> the, an interesting point, at, at the same point yeah i mean and that's where we're going to wind up going is because th- we have to ask this question of when we entrust things to people what is the motivation is it is the motivation that the person receives something that is fair or the person who is investing it be able to maintain its value or mm-hmm. to, to gain so so with that lauren would you go ahead and read 16 through 19 and we'll, we'll keep this story going yeah he had He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. All right, so now we kind of get the plot of the story, the, the time going on. And so, Jonathan, what, what is, the, what is the, the action that happens in, the, the con, in this middle of the plot of the story here? Well, the ones that were given more, they, they do more is what you're seeing here. So the one with five multiplied it. He activated that resource. He didn't hide it away, but it says he traded it. Mm-hmm. And then he doubled it. He made five more. But then the guy with the two likewise did the same. But the guy with the one... 
that who knows, maybe he's growling and grumbling that he only got one, mm-hmm. but instead of doing anything to make the most with what he had, he just buried it and tried to preserve it yeah. uh, and keep it for himself. Yeah, and I think something that's interesting here is that with the five talents and with the two, both of them are taking on risk for this. Yep. Like if you ever get into a trade with somebody, I mean, it's always possible that you can get a a, a, a bum trade off of, off of something. Like for instance, I once worked at a church where this group came up and uh, made a pitch to the facilities director that they would repave our parking lot. And their price that they, they were quoting us was like a third of everybody else. And it's like, oh, this is a great deal. And, I mean, it was still tens of thousands of dollars to do it. But, you know, the guy was like, hey, you know, I'm getting a great deal. Turns out they were shysters. They took the money and they ran and never did the parking lot. And so there there was this idea, and there's an idea of this in the in the – in the, even in this parable, and the people who are listening would understand this, there is a risk that if you invest something, if you trade with something that's not yours, mm-hmm. you could wind up losing. Right. Um, and I mean, even if we're contemporizing the story, I like to think about the guy with five is investing into real estate, you know, mm-hmm. because like this idea of high risk, high reward kind of thing, you know, uh, Stephen, uh, who is our producer here, he knows a lot about that as, as his, he and his wife have dealt, dealt with the real estate industry a little bit. Um, and then like the two million I would see as like a, a good stock like Berkshire Hathaway or Apple. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, it's going to be a risk. It could drop. But at the same time, it generally historically has had a good return. And so it was a wise investment. And then the last guy just dropping the dropping his investment just into a basic savings account of mm-hmm. basically saying I need to get this somewhere where I don't lose it. Mm-hmm. And see, there's an interesting thing to that that you know with these other two guys, yeah, there's a risk that they could lose it, but they're demonstrating a confidence in themselves that if the the if the master gave them that money, knowing their talent and ability that they had, he knew that they could do something well right. with it. Mm-hmm. This guy, knowing that or feeling that he doesn't have the ability to do it basically doubts himself enough that, that if I do something with this, I'm going to lose it. Yeah. And so, you know, you have this kind of, the people who'd be listening to this would be, you know, I think would, would in some cases look at that guy and say, well, I guess he's being wise. He's hiding the money in his mattress. <laughs> so no, nobody can, nobody can steal it. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that, and we, don't, we haven't gotten to the story, part of the story where the master responds yeah, to that's this. that's the key. Yep. Um, because it is a very interesting response. You don't know who did the good job until you know the master's response. Because yeah. ultimately it was his money to begin with. So yeah. it, what was his intentions with the money, which yeah. we don't know at this point in the story. We just know what they did with it. Yeah. But obviously that's going to show the response. But there is that, that aspect of, of ownership, though, too, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's important for us to grasp at this point in the story, even though these guys are trading with this stuff and are risking it, it, it's not theirs, right? Um, and so let's see what happens next. Uh, let's, oh, uh, Lauren, look, were you going to say something? Yeah, I just I I don't see the, the thing that's hard for me to wrap my head around here is like yes, he entrusted to them, but he didn't say anything specifically about what to do mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's kind of hard to be like, you know, like look at it from the perspective of like oh one one did really well or two did really well and then one didn't when it's like there's there's nothing here that gives us the indication that like they were supposed to do something with it. Maybe. So maybe, maybe. it's it's correct till you get to the end. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler True. alert, because because okay. you're right. Hey, you're right. If the parable ended right there, that'd be up to one's interpretation because yeah. the master had not made it clear in that text mm-hmm. of his intention. But then. You'll see that it was inferred when he entrusted them. He was trusting them to do something, which which it's all going to come out here in yeah. a second. So go ahead and hit uh, 20 through 23 for us, Lauren. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. 
His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who, and he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. All right, so this is the positive side of the story, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> now, so Lauren, what, what, when you read that, what does the master's response say about his intention from the beginning? What do you, what do you see there? Mm, that his intention was for them to multiply the thing that he entrusted mm-hmm. to them. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I think that kind of gets back to what we were talking about at the beginning, that things that have value and the things that honor people mm-hmm. will, by their nature, grow Mm -hmm. um the 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 idea of wealth uh, i mean like you think about even in in even in our world if someone has a lot of money but they don't do anything with it is that an appropriate use of the value that's been given to them right Mm -hmm. like in in this case these guys were taking a risk with money that wasn't theirs but because they knew what that value was and they knew what their master valued which in clearly in this case is growth and faithfulness with what was given I mean, clearly, there's joy at the end of that. Mm-hmm. That, and I, and I think that that's what his intention was the whole time. He wanted these guys to be yeah. good servants. It's but, clear he was an investor himself. I mean, yeah. the master had those resources, and he gave them exactly for that purpose. That he was an investor. It, it's like in the same way when we have our finances on this earth, and we we say we hire a financial advisor, mm-hmm. some certified financial planner. You give those resources to them. You're entrusting them with your stuff. But you're an investor, you yourself, and you are expecting that person who's working for you to multiply it to the best of their ability and to steward it well. And you're seeing the same picture just 2,000 years ago that a guy's given his stuff to someone else and he has that expectation of do the best you can, multiply it, make, make the best use of it. So in that context, it makes a lot of sense that he's saying, well done, good job. You know, you did what I hoped for, but then we're going to see on the guy that, that put it away it doesn't go well for him well i think i think you bring out a great point here it's that you know in this story we we think this is about the stuff and we think this is about the money that's gained it's not about that it's about the people that you know the the master understood and he when he was actually investing he was not investing his money he was investing his people exactly giving them opportunity and i I think as, as believers we so often look at our practice of faith and worship and look at it of what am I gaining to myself, mm. right? Um, what am I? What is God giving me? What are the talents that God has given me? I want to focus on those things. When in reality, what God is doing is He's investing in the relationship with us, and that He designs us not to just be a lump on a log in a church service, sitting there soaking it up like some kind of big moldy sponge. But rather, we're supposed to be like this river of life that He pours into us and we pour out, mm. and that that by its nature will grow will grow us. And so, I mean, it, 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 I think in a materialistic sense, when we read this, you know, there is that de-emphasis on the people, but that the people were what the whole thing was about that, that corner of the story is good and faithful servant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and the people who are listening, uh, will, will pick up on that and they'll say, and they would say, okay, yeah, clearly these people were good and faithful servants. Mm -hmm. But so now let's then look at the guy who took the safe, the safe path. Lauren, let's, let's read 24 through 30. He also had, who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. 
But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will be more will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that got ugly real quick. <laughs> <laughs> That's like spicy to read. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Jonathan, what, what do you see in that? Like, the first thing I take from it is how when he's coming back to the master, he puts his lack of a return at fault back on the master. Yeah. Because it goes back full circle to the point of he's almost kind of blaming him. He's saying, well, I know you're the hard man. You're the mm-hmm. one that's really mm-hmm. difficult to please. And because of that, I just hid the one little thing you gave me. And that's it. So he he blamed the master for essentially his lack of productivity mm-hmm. and his lack of effort. And then the the master came back at him. And he said, "You're slothful." Yeah. Like what he's doing is he's demonstrating. He's showing why the master gave him nothing to begin with. Because yeah. that's the point. Like we talked about earlier, risk. Mm-hmm. The one that had all the risk in this was the master. The master's giving yeah. his stuff away. And the greater risk we talked about earlier would have been would have it been fair to give everybody exactly the same? That's actually the greatest risk to the master because yeah. why would you give a lot to someone that you already know at your gut is slothful? Like he'd already measured him up, so he tested him with just a little bit just to see if maybe this guy will turn a corner, maybe he'll do a little bit more. Yeah. But then he just showed his true colors, and and that's why yeah. he said, "You're the slothful one, and you're the wicked one." And, and it's demonstrated by the guy blaming the master who gave him a shot, who gave him a chance. Yeah. And I mean, it, you look at it too. The, the, when we talk about the idea of fairness, you know, should say that, say that the, instead of five, two and one, it had been three, three and three. Well, that's number one, not fair to the master because he wouldn't be getting the return on the investment of the value that he already has. He would be losing value as a result of the slothfulness of the other one. Then you also, you would see that as a lack of trust in the other two in that he knew what they were able to do. He, he knew they were capable. And the one who got two, obviously he did not see as capable. He's given him a, a good chance. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it's, it's this idea of, the master understood the servants, even though, and two of the servants understood the master, but the last guy didn't, because his motivation was fear. Yeah. He's like, I, I just don't want to. I don't want to play. I don't want to be involved. Uh, you know, you're giving me something of value. I don't want it. Well, and, I think it's yeah. fear, but also I would add, Matt. I really think it's it's laziness because yeah. he calls him slothful. I think it's like the guy. The guy didn't want to play the game. Period. Like he yeah. just didn't want. He didn't want to assert himself. Think get in the business, if you will, yeah. and, and go get to work with what he's been given. And that, that same picture as we kind of baptize the story and pull the spiritual meaning out of it, it's yeah. the same thing that that people, we're all given stuff. Yeah. Some of us are just really lazy with it at the yeah. end of the day. Like we don't want to put in the work and roll up our sleeves to, to make the tough efforts to grow a return, a kingdom return, not just with our money, but with everything, with our time, our treasure, our talent. One of the things I see in our society, at least, I always hate saying society because it sounds cliche and stuff like that, but I mean, the reality is I I see all the time these people who say, well, I'm lonely. I don't have any friends. Nobody cares about me, blah, 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 blah. And then the question that I always ask, which always flummoxes them, is what effort have you made to get to know anybody? Mm -hmm. 
like the expectation is out there. And I think this is partially driven by a social, social media world. Everybody should be serving me. I should be getting all these invitations to all these parties like because they, they're all happening on Instagram and stuff. So therefore, I mean, I'm a valuable person. They should be asking me. But the, the, the secret in the sauce mm-hmm. is that the people who are really actively involved in friendships and building community are the people who make the effort to build the community, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, you don't, half the time, these people who don't get invited to anything, people just don't understand that they're not invited. They, they want them to be involved. They just choose not to put themselves out there in any way that actually involves them or any kind of a risk of being, um, uh, being turned down. Yeah. I mean, I said, I saw that all the time in youth ministry when these guys would be like, Oh, I haven't got a girlfriend all that. And it's like, have you even asked any of these girls out? <laughs> I mean, and you know, we, we talk about this in the young adult sphere a lot of times where the, where there are a lot of young women who are like, yeah, I mean, I'd love to date, but these idiots are just kind of, Messing around. They're playing Call of Duty. Well, hanging and around. I've heard, I put it on another uh, context in church culture, I've heard people, I just wish I had a mentor. Yeah. I wish somebody would, you know, lead yeah. me and show me. It's like, well, who have you actually initiated to go have lunch with? Yeah. Who have you approached? Like, you're, you're just waiting for somebody to coddle you instead of invest in work. Because if you really wanted a mentor, you'd pray for it. Yeah. Look around you for people wiser than you that God already's put there. Mm-hmm. And then you initiate. You go say, hey, yeah. can I buy you lunch? Can I take you to mm-hmm. lunch? And just ask you some questions about life. Mm-hmm. But so often we want to be coddled because we're like that that servant where mm-hmm. he says he's slothful. He doesn't want to put in the work. Um, and it's such an important principle because I think it's easy to complain like that slothful servant. It's hard to roll up your sleeves. And there's a old proverb, I'll call it even though it's not, but I've, I've heard the saying many times that the, the loudest voices always come from the cheapest seats. Mm-hmm. And it's 100% true. It goes far beyond basketball and football. It goes to life and it goes to church where sometimes the loudest, most complaining voices, the ones that have the most to say, actually are the least invested. Yeah. They're not serving. They're not giving. They're not proactive. They're not doing anything to really expand the kingdom and do things on mission. They just want to complain about the ones who are on mission but Jonathan, those that are doing it. They're, they're ideas guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. But the difference is, and that's the point of the story, is we all are armchair quarterbacks to some degree. Yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. But armchair quarterbacks also don't have a capacity to throw a football. Yeah. Like we don't have the ability where the point of the story is God's giving you something. He's yeah. giving you the ability to throw the ball. So get off the couch and actually go do something with it instead of just yell at everybody else that's doing it on their own. Mm. And that's really such a part of the story is we, we miss what we already have. We just complain, but we miss yeah. what God's already given us and what we could be doing with it. Yeah. Well, and the, the, you know, you see the third servant's response, the first two, they don't, we don't really get their response so much for it. Um, but you, I think you see a lack of gratitude from the third servant, right? Yeah. There, it's, oh, it, sure. it's, and you know, in our, in our, in our king, as we're talking in citizen ATX, we're always talking about life in our earthly city versus in our heavenly city. You know, generally, I think in our, in our city here now, you have the victim mentality that takes over of, I have all, all these things are wrong. And that's why I won't do, I, not that I can't, I won't do good things for other people because I, because I've been badly treated, that is giving that gives me a right to not do the things I'm supposed to. And in fact, beyond that, you should you should pay me and give me things because I think I've been treated unfairly. Mm-hmm. Um, now again, that that you have to work, you have to ask that question of motivation. Like, where is the value in this whole thing? That's an expectation that the value is in the receiver. That hey, 
I deserve it because I deserve it. I'm just going to suck this in, and that and that is the value right there. But the but when you look at the problems that we have in, in our society now, it's we have a lot of receivers, but very few producers. Mm-hmm. Um, God clearly, and I think the the listeners to this parable would clearly agree that. The person who produces something brings value to the equation. The person who sits on it does not. And, you know, there, there is a, the real risk winds up being at the end of the story, not having particip- not having played because it disqualified him from the game. Um, so, Lauren, you have to look like you have something on your mind about it. Well, I'm just thinking, like, do you think that in this in this scenario, when when the master is calling all three of the servants to him, do you think that he's doing that? I mean, obviously, we don't have context, but I'm just picturing them all in a room, and he's like, "You get ten, you get two, you get one, or whatever." Like, I I think that there could be the the possibility that the one who who gets one is like. Um, just a little offended that, you know, like he's, mm. he could be comparing his situation mm. to, um, to the ones who got more. And yeah. so, yeah. I mean, I feel like we do that all, all the time yeah. in church and society, the world yeah. where we compare our gifts and things that we've been given to other mm-hmm. people and, and see what we've been given as less than, but yeah, and we don't use it well. But you also have a foil in the story because the person who got two did not get as much as the five person. Yeah. And so they True, have, they have, ju- they have just as much. And actually that person has hey. more yeah. right because he got less than half of what yeah. the main guy got. But he understood where the value was. The value was not in what him getting what he wanted. The value was in I get the opportunity to participate in the mission of my master. Mm-hmm. I'm being given the keys to his business, and w- with that comes good responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it, it communicates into our culture. I think uh, what we're talking about because some of these bigger cultural issues, we have an entitled culture. We all feel like we deserve the same things but we don't want to actually walk the same pathways. We just yeah. want to earn, but we don't all want to work. We don't. We all want the end result, but we don't want to grind. Uh, and there's a proverb, it's in Proverbs 14, verse 23, that all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that's such a good picture of today where, not to say that if you work hard, you're going to be rich. That's actually not the point of the proverb. The point of the proverb is if you work hard, there will be a return on the investment you're making. God blesses that when we steward and we multiply what we have with our finances, but also with our responsibilities, our leadership, all those things. Because it was promised right there. He said, for to everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even that, even what he has will be taken away. So mm-hmm. God's a multiplying God. And that's the really message of this yeah. is he's saying, I want to multiply. Like I, I just need you to work hard and wake up. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you study people that are really successful, I love reading leadership books and studying people that have done big things. There's always commonalities amongst them, whether it's secular or Christian, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Usually one of them is a strong work ethic mm-hmm. that they grind and they work hard and they do things that other people don't do yeah. when no one else is looking. There's a fun there's a funny thing to that that a study was done about people who put up shopping carts. Yeah. That people who who put up shopping carts are like three times as likely to be successful than a person who doesn't. Yeah. Uh, I know another thing that uh, Adm- I think is Admiral McRaven who used to be mm. the chancellor at uh, at University of Texas. Mm. Hook them. Uh, the but he uh, he had said 
said, like he had his, he has this little ethics book that he gives to graduates or whatever in the speech. But part of it was make your bed every morning, mm. and it's like it's it's things like that. It's yeah. these mundane things because they care about the little details of their life. And even in this passage, it says that you know the things that if you're if you've been faithful with something little, if you can make your bed, maybe right. you can handle a business. Well, right? what Craig Rochelle says, I've heard him say this on his podcast before. He says that successful people do things consistently that ordinary people do occasionally. Mm-hmm. And that is so true. It's, you know, it's yeah. the discipline and it's, it's doing it over and over and over again, but we just want immediate satisfaction. Everybody yeah. wants to be anointed, but they don't want to be pressed mm-hmm. and yeah. everybody wants to serve over before they've actually served under. And those kind of immediate satisfaction things, that's, that's why this master seemingly is so upset. He's mm-hmm. saying, you haven't even done anything yet. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like I already knew this would be trouble, but I gave yeah. you one anyway. And I gave <laughs> you one buddy and then you just buried it you buried it and you did nothing yeah. and and then you're complaining and bugging me as yeah. the guy that doesn't give you a shot i gave you a shot when you didn't really deserve the shot and yeah. you still did nothing for those baseball fans out there i have a, a t-shirt that says it's not okay but it has a backwards k on it mm-hmm. because in baseball scoring Strike a backwards k is a strikeout looking mm-hmm. and the statement being it's okay to strike out. It's never okay to strike out looking because <laughs> yeah, it means so you're af- you're afraid. You're not taking the yeah. risk. You're not taking the opportunity. I do want to apply this, though, to the church, though, because as, as we're talking about this, I do feel like there's a little bit of a sharp edge on this mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. a lot of churches find themselves, I think, in the place of that last servant where yeah. they've inherited from their from the people before them. There's been And, and from God himself, he gives, he gives churches these facilities. He gives them people who have, who have uh, experiences and abilities and resources and things like that. And a lot of churches, instead of desiring to risk it and see it grow, they instead invest only in themselves and in the things they like, the safe path. They don't want to make people mad. So what they do is they just keep doing things the way they've always been doing things. And then when new people come who might have great ideas or who might who might need some kind of a change or a different culture in the church, the church says, no dice. I'm not doing that because this is the way it was when I got it, and I'm going to leave it the way that I found it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not the biblical way of stewarding the, the gifts that God gives. But the reality in the American church is exactly that way. Even in a lot of large evangelical churches, I, I, one of the interesting things that I've, I've been keeping an eye on in previous years has been these churches whose founders are retiring. Mm-hmm. And then what does the growth pattern look like after the founder leaves? Mm-hmm. Because... You all of a sudden that desperation, that desire to risk, that 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 need to to grow is gone because the person who inherited it is scared of losing it. Yeah, um, and that's not the way the church the church can't function that way. It's not being the church at that point. It really does devolve into the idea of a social club. Um, and I mean, I, I feel like that's what we see in a lot of different churches today. Well, and you hit it right at the end, it's because people want church to be a social club. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the core of it, of why do you see that in a lot of churches, it's because that is people's perception of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a lot of church members' perception is it's my social club, it's my country club, it's a place to have my needs met, it's for me to meet all my friends, for me to socialize, for me to uh, network and all those things. And all those are kind of byproducts of the church. Those actually aren't all bad ideas. I mean, you should have a network and friends and a community, and you should hopefully, Lord willing, have your needs met. But that's not the purpose of the church. Uh, and that that's where it all gets offset is when the church no longer has a mission 
um, and you feel like you're the mission. Like, yeah. and, and that's those kind of churches that that never have any kind of movement over time. Mm-hmm. They just get stuck. Slowly they die. Mm-hmm. They die, and it, it takes a while, but they, they die over time because they refuse to ever change any of their methods. Mm-hmm. And methods do change over time. Yeah. I mean, we're on a podcast right now. Good gracious. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that wasn't <laughs> even an idea 20 years ago. Methods change. But the stuff yeah. we're preaching, the message, is exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, this isn't new information we're talking about today. It's yeah. the same book. But churches that get stuck, if you get stuck there you won't multiply and get that return like the master's talking about there in the passage. Yeah. And this past week I was at a, I was at a conference and there was a really compelling speaker there who was talking about multicultural church, right? Mm-hmm. I mean that's one of those things that buzzwords right now out in the society, right? Like we wanted we want a diverse church, we want multicultural. And one of the things that he said was that in his observation of most churches, uh, he said Churches don't want to be multicultural. They want to be unicultural but multicolored. Yeah, that's true. And wow. and that I mean, I'm sitting there being like, yeah, that that's just about right because that's true. because the reality is for a lot of churches that say they want to be diverse, they have no desire to actually meet the needs of that that community that they say they want to reach. They want that community to come in and all of a sudden stop acting like themselves and start acting like mm-hmm. us. Now there now there's obviously some flex in there where you're not we're not going to give on biblical orthodoxy and and, right. and on, on on the gospel but the reality is when it comes to method you know most of the time the reason we push back on stuff is not because it's not for the it, because we think it's really for the good of the people who are coming in more so it's because the way we it's the way we well, like it and we expect it can i give another example this will hurt a little bit more because it's more common in churches than mm-hmm. the multicultural a lot of churches say they want to be multi-generational that yeah. we want children youth we want all ages but to go back to that metaphor what you were talking about earlier matt of churches that will never change anything yeah those churches, a lot of them will claim we want to be multi-generational, but no, they don't. They don't. Yeah. Because what they mean by multi-generational is we want young people to come in here that will look like us, talk like us, sing like us, like the things we like, dress the way we like them too, and do everything perfect the way we've done it our whole lives. And that group, we want them in there. Well, the problem is you'll get like three people that way. I mean, yeah. you'll you'll get like three of them because you'll probably find like three. There's always a few that you you'll can find that look like you. Got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, there's always a few that look like us out in there. But as far as the fish of the sea and all yeah. the lost and the people who we're supposed to go fishing for, <laughs> um, most of them do not actually look. It's the amazing part of the ocean. Jesus says, "Be fishers <laughs> of men." The ocean has a million. I mean, millions and millions yeah. of fish. There's all kinds of fish in the sea, and so if you're going to go after certain fish, you have to bait hooks differently, yeah. and you have to actually change some things to go after some of those targeted groups. But yeah. some churches miss that, and they 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 conflate that. They mix it up to become about the message when in reality it was just about the methods. They they yeah. they will lift it up to a place that it never should have been. Yeah. I think one of your proof positives of that, having been a youth minister for a long time, it always cracked me up when you would have that kid that would wear the suit and tie to church. Yeah. And all and you'd have all these people fawning over them. Yeah. And and all of a sudden that they in their minds, that's the target of get a kid in a tie. And it's like yeah. You have to understand that kid in the tie is the outlier. Like, <laughs> I mean, if that person comes to your church, that's great, and they're wonderful, and they're yeah. a child of God. But guess what? They're not bringing a bunch of people with them because ain't no there ain't no uh, little crowd of kids wearing suits and ties <laughs> coming to church. If your if your kids are wearing pants coming to church, that's a that's, that's a, a big that's a big yeah, step, that's a right? Win. So I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right that you know we. 
the th- between the things we say and the things that we do, and even in the context of the of this parable, you know, the guy said, "I made, I made, I took what you gave me, and I made the safe decision." Mm-hmm. And and God's response is, "I didn't want the safe exactly. decision. I wanted value. Exactly. I wanted you to live up to the value that I gave you." And if that, and if the person says, "Well, that's not fair. I didn't sign up for this," there you see the result of that response. It's not positive. No. <laughs> it's that, and that is, I think, the reality for you, listener, that you know. Even though the word talent in this is supposed to be a monetary thing, you do we do need to recognize that God gives us attributes, gifts, abilities. The fact that you breathe air right now, if you're of the air breathing, you know, variety, <laughs> the fact that you have that is a grace and a gift. And God's expectation is not for you just to sit and die. Your mm-hmm. your desi- his desire for your life is to grow and to be abundant and to, and with the promise as you risk it as you put yourself out there you're gonna your abundance will be given to you. Yep. It's not necessarily even something you earn. It will be given. It will be given to you. Well, and I love that promise you're saying, Matt, because if you think about other investments in life, like when we make investments in this world with <laughs> crypto, <our> money, <laughs> yeah, yeah, great example. So we may think it's a solid return on that investment that it's coming. But it also might dive immediately. Like yeah. the marketplace is volatile. It's yeah. all over the place. You might be up, then you might be down. You don't really know if you're going to get a return on everything. But in the kingdom of God, it's a it's a promise. I yeah. mean, it's a surefire bet. He says, if you just invest, he says, if you take care of a little, I'm going to give you more. It's just yeah. going to happen naturally. And I think most mature Christians could all get on the microphone and testify that. I could yeah. too. I won't make it all about myself, but... If you take care of a little, God multiplies it and gives you more. Yeah. And a lot of people will skip that step of taking care of the little. They just want more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you see in this picture is that our God is an investing God. He yeah. wants us to invest. He wants us to invest in people. He wants us to invest with the resources we have. Mm-hmm. But that investment is a solid investment because it, moth and rust can't destroy it. Yeah. And and then one day, if we are good with it, he's going to give us a little bit more. So yeah. it's a great encouragement that if you haven't been investing, you could become a great investor in yeah. the kingdom of God. And I, and I will say this too. One, one of the, the common allies I've seen for people who are miserable in their faith and people who are, you know, constantly questioning it. You ask the question, when was the last time you shared about your faith with somebody yeah. else? You know, it, and I think that speaks to a principle in here is that this, these investments are not easy. I mean, even in the context of this passage, the guy went out and began trading and it, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the reality of it is it takes work, but work is not bad. Like not working is bad. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where that disconnect often happens as well. Because I'm a worthwhile and a valuable child of God, it should just be given to me. Mm. It's like there's nothing about our physical universe that says do nothing and something will happen mm-hmm. um, outside of you might get fat. I mean, that, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a living testament to that. <laughs> anyway, well, I, I think that kind of brings us to the end of this parable. Lauren, any any thoughts from your end on this? Uh you got some crypto uh, trading you want to <laughs> tell us about here? Can't say, can't say I, I do. I do, mm-hmm. I do not invest in crypto. No, I, it's just, it's, it's really, what you guys said was, was perfect because it was, it, it's not easy and it's not mm-hmm. comfortable to, to take that risk and to put away the fear of, you know, not having enough and realizing that God's going to provide. But at the same time, like just because it's not easy or comfortable to like share your faith or mm-hmm. use your gifts and things like that, like a good perspective is the cross wasn't comfortable either. Yeah. You know, that yeah. was, not, that was not comfortable. And mm-hmm. so it's like, do you, do you live for him or do you live for you? Yeah. Like, that's just all I have. Absolutely. So. And I think as we close the podcast, that's our encouragement to you is that in your life, God has given you personally, listener resources, abilities, 
Um, are you giving anywhere? Are you serving anywhere? Are you loving anywhere? Um, <clears throat> the question will be, if God has given you those talents, what are you doing with them? And what, do you, what does it say about what you believe about God based on whether you are or are not using them? So I'm thankful for this story. It definitely calls me out on mm-hmm. sitting on sitting on my stuff. <laughs> and I hope, that, I hope for, for you it's an encouragement as you go out into your, into your city. And so, Jonathan, Lauren, anything else before we close off for today? When your voice was kind of going out there, you kind of sounded like Liam Neeson a little bit there. It was like, it was like hearing Taken. I yeah, have a, I have a very specific, <laughs> yeah, a very specific very, set of very talents. Set of skills. I will find you. voice got raspy. Oh yeah, no, that was good. I landed the plane nicely with that. I like I that. will find you. I will be nice to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, friends. Well, hey, that's it for us for today on the uh, Parables Reimagined version of this is an atx podcast for me jonathan spencer lauren ortiz and liam neeson we thank you for joining us and we hope to see you again on the citizen atx podcast